2 Timothy chapter 2. And as you're turning there, uh, let me say how thankful I am to, to be here and the invitation uh, that was given to me by the elders to be a part of uh, this weekend, this special weekend of, of dedicating uh, our time and energy and efforts uh, to the young people here at Oak Mountain, but not just to the young people at Oak Mountain, but really all over the state uh, of Alabama. And I tell you, I've had the, um, had the privilege uh, to do this just the last couple of weeks. Last Saturday where I preach at Vestavia, we had uh, our teen forum and time for teenagers to come together. And I tell you, I agree with the Good Brothers Prayer. Uh, we have some bright, bright faces and bright, bright lights of Christian lights that are shining in this area. And it is so encouraging. I know we often do these things to, to encourage the young people, but uh, what they don't understand is just how encouraged I am. And I know you feel the same way, that you're encouraged to see uh, examples of faith and dedication to God, even in young people. It's not just that the future is bright, but uh, the present. The time now with our young people and who they are is so bright. And I just appreciate them so much. What we, what we talked about uh, yesterday was the topic of standing firm. The idea of standing firm in a world that wants to destroy our young people. And we talked uh, yesterday morning in our first session about the fact that we are at war. That we are at war and we have to have that wartime mentality. And I want us to think about a little bit more this morning that concept of being in war. And I want us to think about understanding our enemy and some things that we can learn from that. I want to make some applications today. I'll make applications to young people, but also to any age group. I'm going to make some applications from the Word of God, and I hope that you'll, you'll listen this morning. You know, there are metaphors all throughout the Scripture about who we are as Christians. And, and one of my favorites is found in the book of 1 Peter, that we're pilgrims, or we're aliens, we're strangers, we're just sojourners. We're just passing through, that we don't belong here in this world, that we will never fit in in this world. And the Bible describes us as pilgrims. But perhaps the one that we see the most is the metaphor of being in war and us being soldiers and fighting this fight. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul would tell Timothy that you may wage the good warfare. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 6 at verse 12, Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And then one more in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And so I want us all to grasp this fact, not just the young people, but all of us to grasp the fact this morning that we are at war. And we cannot just sit back and have a peacetime mentality. I remember reading, I want to say it was the Swedish government. I read an article a long time ago about how they were trying to balance their budget. And so they decided they would not conduct any military operations outside of normal business hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Hope your enemy doesn't attack on a weekend. Or George Washington and the Continental Congress were arguing one time. Congress wanted to pass a law saying that an army could not exceed 5,000 men. And Washington said, that's fine as long as we can pass a law saying that we can't fight an enemy that has any more than 3,000 soldiers to it. <laughs> you get the idea of, of how ridiculous that sounds because our enemy does not take nights and weekends off. Our enemy does not take a break on the holidays. 
In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I just want you to notice in verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 3, Paul writes and uses this metaphor of being a soldier. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so you see from that passage that as Christians, we are soldiers all of the time, not just when it's convenient for us. But Jesus, as our commander in chief, and as a good soldier, we don't let the things of this world entangle us and take us away from what it is that we are supposed to be doing. And that is living our Christian life and fighting the good fight. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. And you'll notice I, I lose this thing a lot. Uh, turn your Bible, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to talk about understanding our enemy. And I think we can learn some things from 1 Peter and we'll also spend some time in the book of Ephesians as well. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, this wonderful verse that says in verse 7, Casting all your cares or casting all your anxieties on Him, that is on God, all of our cares, all of our worries... All of our anxieties, Peter says, you cast those cares and anxieties upon God for he cares for you. And you think about the one who wrote this. This is the Apostle Peter. This was the one who was in prison for preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember in Acts chapter 12, James' head has been cut off. Peter has been thrown into prison and he's about to lose his life. And do you remember what he was doing in prison? He was sleeping. How could you sleep? When you were chained in prison, knowing that you were next, that your life was about to end. Here is a man who could write about this and say that God cares for me and he cares for you. Let's cast our cares and our anxieties upon him. But Peter reminds us of another reality that God isn't the only one who is concerned about us or God isn't the only one who is paying attention to us. There is someone else who is interested Because he says next in verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour you. Now what I want you to see from this verse is that Satan is very interested in you. Satan pays attention to you. He is relentless in his pursuit of you. Remember, Peter talks about being a pilgrim and making this pilgrimage uh, and these people who are on their way to their real home. And what are we doing as we're traveling? Well, we're pursuing holiness. And he knew that we would have to cross the enemy line, that at some point in time we would come face to face with the enemy and we would have to decide who are we fighting for? Whose side are we on? And so we need to understand the identity and the strategy of the devil if we're going to overcome him. And the very first thing that I want you to see is this fact, that our enemy is the devil. Now let me explain a little bit what I mean by that. Peter identifies the enemy as the devil. The devil simply means the accuser. Or it it can mean that, that Satan is our adversary. And so what Satan seeks to do is he seeks to slander us. He seeks to accuse man before God. He seeks to destroy the very work of God. 
And that's serious business. Do you think about the devil? And you think about how the devil has been successful in creating this image of himself that doesn't seem very scary, right? I mean, when, when many people think about the devil, when they think about someone in a, in a red suit with a pitchfork and a tail with, you know, with, with a pointy tail, right? And it's this ridiculous image of Satan. And I have to imagine that Satan is thrill, thrilled that man has come up with this ludicrous image of him. And, and a lot of people just think the devil is just really this personification of evil. Kind of like um, Uncle Sam is the personification of, of patriotism. Well, the devil is nothing more than just this personification, this picture of what evil is. But understand that the devil is more than that. That the writers of Scripture took the devil seriously. And they would warn us about what the devil was up to. I shared this passage with the young people yesterday in John chapter 8. Turn your Bible there. In John chapter 8, and I want you to look at what Jesus said about the devil. In John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, at verse 44. And really what we learn from this verse, before I even read it, I want you to grasp the fact that Jesus believed that the devil was a being. It wasn't that the devil was just some idea. Okay? Because he says this in John 8, at verse 44. He says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, Jesus tells us something very important about the very nature of our enemy, that he is a liar, that he spreads lies. He spreads propaganda, right? He is this accuser. Revelation chapter 12, we won't turn there, but it talks about the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them before God day and night. And you think about how Satan lies. In the very beginning, and we pointed out to the young people yesterday, right at the very beginning, the devil was lying. He lied to Eve. He lied to Adam that if you will eat of this fruit, God said, you will surely die. But the devil comes along and says, no, you will not surely die. It's it's a lie. One word, and it creates all of this devastation in the lives of Adam and Eve. And basically, when tempted, Satan said, you can get away with this. Satan was lying. You can get away with this. You'll be like God. God's trying to hold back on you. He doesn't want what's best for you, Eve. And so, listen to this. If you eat of it, you will not surely die, and you will be like God. From the very beginning, Satan reveals his character, that he is a liar. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians chapter 6, this is where we got our phrase yesterday for our theme of standing firm. In Ephesians chapter 6, and perhaps this is the greatest passage really to look at, to, to consider this metaphor of being a soldier and fighting this war. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6, at verse 10. He says, finally. Now remember that word, because we're going to come back to that. Think about the fact that, that Peter or Paul has written this letter, and he says, finally. Finally, as he wraps this up, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, verse 14 says, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And he says to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Now, I want you to notice back up to verse, tw- uh, verse 11, where Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This tells us of the fact that the devil does not show up with a pitchfork and a red suit. He doesn't show up that way. Satan shows up for one reason and one reason alone, to destroy your life. That's his business. I'll tell, I'll tell you, the parents, what I told the young people yesterday. Satan hates you. Satan hates you. He doesn't want anything good for you. He doesn't want anything good for your life. He doesn't want anything good for your family. In fact, think about what it says, that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, how does the devil seek to destroy us? Well, I'll tell you, I think the first way he, he, he seeks to destroy us is by attacking the family. He attacks the family. He attacks the biblical roles of the family, of what's been give, what, what was given by the Holy Spirit through Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, for the, the wife to submit to the husband and the, the husband to love his wife as, as Christ loved the church. Satan seeks to change those roles and, and to even sometimes uh, just take a family and put them in a situation where they just deny God altogether and they try to build their family around what the world and culture and society says that they should do and what they should be busy with and what they should be pursuing, that they forget about God. And then it creates friction between parents and children, parents and children fighting and arguing with one another. I tell you what Satan wants more than anything is to destroy Christian families. Satan wants divorce to be commonplace among the people of God. He wants husbands to despise their wives and wives to disrespect their husbands. He wants parents to be annoyed and yelling and constantly yelling at their kids and children rebelling against their parents. He, he, he wants families to be in such disarray, such disarray and such turmoil that by the time the family gets to the church parking lot, they put on their masks and you start to smile. Everything's good. We're good. But at home, things are chaotic. Because God has been pushed aside and Satan is attacking the family. That's one of his schemes to destroy our life. I think another scheme that Satan has is his attempts to separate morality from spirituality. And really what I mean by that is that Satan loves it when non-Christians, when unbelievers can accuse us. When unbelievers can look at our life and say, wait a minute, I thought they were a Christian. And so one of the things he wants us to do is, is I think he wants us to, to have this idea, this concept that, 
Just as long as you're at church on Sunday. Just as long as you're doing the right things on Sunday. Well, Monday through Saturday, you do whatever you want. Well, you, you can do whatever you want. Just as long as spiritually on Sunday you are here and doing what you are supposed to be doing in a worship assembly, but we can divorce morality from that. And I can be greedy on Tuesday at work. I can lie and deceive and scheme at school just because I took care of all that on Sunday. That's one of the schemes of the devil. Satan wants to keep Christians as as spiritual babies. Satan wants to keep Christians as spiritual babies. Satan does not want a Christian, when they obey the gospel, he attacks them because he doesn't want them to grow. He wants them to remain a baby. He wants them to remain on the milk so that they don't grow and mature and produce other Christians. That's a scheme of the devil. Another scheme is just accepting spiritual poverty. And what I mean by that is Satan wants you to be completely ignorant of the blessings that you have in Christ. Satan doesn't want you to be aware of the fact that all spiritual blessings are found in Christ. Satan wants us to forget about the cross. I'll tell you what scares the devil. It's the cross of Calvary. Oh, that that really frightens the devil. That causes the devil to tremble. And he's okay as long as churches talk about self-esteem and and how to be happy and how to have fulfillment. but, But don't talk about sin. Don't talk about the blood of the cross. Tell people that it's just, it's okay, just be happy. Satan loves that kind of teaching, but he doesn't love strong biblical teaching. He wants us to remain spiritually poor, spiritually weak. And and I could keep going, but really what I'm doing, if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, just go back. Because Paul talks about all of these things. In chapter 1, what does he do? He reminds Christians of all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. How God has lavished us with grace and mercy and we've been redeemed. We have the seal of the Holy Spirit upon us and we are spiritually rich. We don't lack anything in Christ. And then in chapter 4, he talks about not being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Paul says, you grow up, you be mature. You grow in your faith. Don't allow the devil to keep you as a baby. And then as I mentioned in chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians, and chapter 6, Paul talks about the family. But what I want you to see is that Satan works in ways that perhaps we don't even notice. And Paul says that there's a connection between what happens in your life, even what happens in your family, in this war that we are waging. That there's this spiritual realm, there's these things that are taking place. That's what he says in verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, it's important for us to grasp that we are in a spiritual battle. You know, more than 100 years ago when people would have surgery, surgery was really a last resort because it was so dangerous. So many people died after the surgery, days and maybe weeks after the surgery, from an infection that set in during surgery. 
And so they were dying. They were dying not from why they were having surgery. They were dying from the surgery itself because of these infections. You know why? Because the doctors were having surgery on one person and then they just move on to the next person and they would never scrub in like doctors do today. Because they weren't aware of these microscopic germs that we're aware of today. They didn't see the germs, and so they just went about their business. And I'm telling you that to say, we may not see our enemy with the physical eye, but he is there. And we need to recognize the fact that he is the devil, that he seeks to slander us. He seeks to discourage us in our walk with Christ. He seeks to get us to destroy one another, to gossip about someone, to slander someone. He wants us to, to refuse to give up a grudge, to withhold forgiveness. All of that stuff is from the devil. All of it. When you're struggling in your Christian walk, it's the devil. He is after you. And that brings me to this next point of the fact that he is a lion. He is a lion. He is a vicious, vicious beast who is totally committed to tearing you apart. I haven't been to the Birmingham Zoo um, yet since, since we've lived in Birmingham, but we, in Kentucky we used to live right next to the Louisville Zoo. And so we would go to the zoo a lot. And when I would see the lion, I mean, I've seen Discovery Channel. I know what lions can do. But that lion at the zoo, he really didn't move. <laughs> he didn't seem all that, didn't really seem all that scary to me because of just how kind of relaxed he, he really seemed to be. In that environment, but when Peter heard these uh, said these words, and his listeners heard these words, they heard a different animal. They were reminded of how Christians were fed uh, to the hungry lions for entertainment of pagans. They knew exactly what this meant—that lions could tear you apart. And Peter says that he is a roaring lion. This howl of the beast who is hungry and he is hunting his prey. He is prowling around. How does he stalk his prey? Well, he doesn't stand out in the middle of the jungle, right? He hides in the bushes. He gingerly stalks his prey. He seeks to find that one in the pack that is just lagging behind, that's weak, that's tired, that's alone. And he pounces on that unsuspecting animal and he tears it apart. Satan is like that. He cleverly reveals his identity and his purpose. He doesn't announce to you that I want to destroy you and your family. He doesn't announce to you, hey, I'm here to tear your relationship with God apart. He doesn't do that. Paul, in fact, would say that he comes as an angel of light. He leaves this impression that all is well. He leaves the impression that what I have to offer is best for you. You see, he promises peace, but really what he delivers is pain. He promises life. But he produces death. Satan looks to exploit our weaknesses. He, he seeks to really get us to question God. I mentioned how he does that to Eve in the garden. Did God really say this? Or, or he might say to us today, has God said not to commit adultery? Well, that's where the excitement is. Has God said not to lie? Well, listen, that's the way you get ahead these days. Has God said to give generously? Oh, be careful. You never know when you'll need it for that rainy day. See, Satan lies and seeks to exploit our weaknesses. He knows where his prey goes. He knows where they like to wind down. He knows the smell of their scent. 
He knows how to take advantage. And Satan knows our vulnerable points. And we need to be aware of them as well. And there are several. And I just want to share uh, three of them with you about how our enemy knows our weaknesses. And this is found, go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. These weaknesses are right here in 1 Peter chapter 5. And the very first weakness that Satan exploits is pride. In fact, look about 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 5. 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Someone said humility is not thinking poorly of yourself or less of yourself. It's simply not thinking about yourself at all. God wants us not thinking about ourselves, but about Him. And when we put our focus on Him, He will lift us up. Satan wants us to be puffed up with pride. Because when we are puffed up with pride, Peter says, God opposes us. That is, we're on opposite teams. We're not fighting together any longer. We're fighting against one another when we're puffed up with pride. Proverbs 16 and verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, when I am proud of myself, I am most vulnerable to sinning. I am most vulnerable to falling. I think about Simon Peter. Peter experienced that. A couple different times, really. But I think about uh, in Matthew 26 or, or Luke 22, when Jesus tells his apostles that, listen, all of you are going to fall away. You remember what Peter said? Lord, I can't answer for them. They might all desert you, but not me. Jesus says, Satan, uh, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Peter says, Lord, I'm not going to leave you. I will never forsake you. But what happens When Peter finds himself warming by the fire. Oh, he's puffed up with pride. Not too long after that, he was denying that he even knew the Lord. You might find yourself having pride this morning. Proud of your status of what you've achieved. Think you've got it all together. Proud of your reputation, the name you've built. Maybe a a business you built. Professional accomplishments. Or maybe even some spiritual accomplishments and spiritual successes that you've had. But the Bible says, take heed lest you fall. Take heed lest you fall. We need to go to bed every night before the Lord and say, I can't do it without you. That I'm nothing without you. I depend upon everything from you, God. Satan exploits pride, though. But next of all, next, he seeks to exploit our weakness of worry. And I mentioned this in verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see, God wants us to dump all of our cares and anxieties upon him because then we can have peace because we're just focused on God. But Satan seeks to fill us up with so many things to worry about. I, I mean, let's be honest. If you turn the TV on, I mean... It doesn't take long. You scroll through Twitter or whatever your favorite website is. Uh, you can find a lot to worry about, right? You can find a lot to be concerned about. And I believe that Satan is behind that. Satan is behind that. You see, when you worry about finances, well, that's when you're most vulnerable to lying and shady deals. Or young people, when you're worried about your grades in school, that's when you're most vulnerable to cheating. 
Or when you worry about coping with pressure on the job, that's when you can be most susceptible to falling into drugs or alcohol. Or when you worry so much about being accepted by your friends, that's when you are susceptible to compromising your morals and your values. Peter knew how worry could make him fail. You know, I wonder if Peter was thinking about that time in Matthew chapter 14 when Jesus comes to them during a storm and he walks on the water. And Jesus says, take heart, it is I. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, will command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. But when he takes his eyes off Jesus and he sees the storm around him, what happens? Well, he begins to sink, right? When he focused on his fear, he began to worry about that storm and he began to sink. But God says, cast your burden on me. Remember, it was Jesus who was there to grab Peter and to save him. We'd be like that woman who was terrified to fly. And after her first flight, she, she walked out and she said to the pilot, I was so nervous I never did put all my weight down. <laughs> put your weight down on the Lord. Put all of your weight, all of your anxiety down on the Lord. He can handle it. And if we had time, we'd go to Matthew chapter 6 and see if the Lord can take care of the sparrows. Well, He can take care of me. He watches you. But Satan seeks to exploit us, to get us to worry about all sorts of things. But the next, Satan knows a weakness can be emotionalism. I mean, notice what he says there in verse 8. Be sober-minded. And this has something to do with being self-controlled in our minds, right? Satan wants us to be controlled by our emotions. Satan wants us to be dictated by our desires. And when that happens, Satan knows we're vulnerable to temptation. I mean, in the culture that we live in today, it's all about feelings. Well, do whatever you feel. Or don't, if you don't feel like, do it. Don't, don't do it. If you don't feel like going to church today, don't go. Or, you know, if you don't feel like being married, if you don't feel like loving your spouse anymore, well, just stop. If you don't feel like it. Or if you don't feel like controlling your tongue, well, just fly off the handle and say whatever you want to say to whoever you want to say it to. Peter had that problem. Remember that Jesus announced in Matthew chapter 16 after Peter hits it out of the park when he confesses that Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then after that, Jesus for the first time in plain terms tells his disciples that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer. He's going to, be, he's going to die. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be buried. He's going to be raised again. But you remember when Peter heard that, I imagine that he was overcome with emotion because that's not what was supposed to happen to his Messiah. And Peter spoke up and said, Lord, not going to happen with you. He was controlled by his emotions. And that's when Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. For you set your mind not on the things of God. If you just go along with how you feel at the moment, you're, you're vulnerable to Satan. If you live your life just based upon your feelings, you are going to be ripped apart. We need to be able to say, get behind me, Satan. We need to be controlled, and we need to be controlled by the Word of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 says, For uh, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. 
You see, it's, it's really foolish, and you know this, it's foolish to allow your desires to rule over you. You know that. I mean, if you desire to lose your temper, well, just lose it. Blow your top. If you have a desire to make more money dishonestly, well, even if it's at the expense of others, well, just go ahead and do it. If that's your desire, Satan knows you're vulnerable. Satan knows that. And so Paul says this in Romans, in Romans chapter 8 at verse 12. In Romans chapter 8 at verse 12, he says, Brother, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. You see, this has something to do, I think, with what Jesus would say. If anybody desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Oh, culture today says affirm yourself. They say the complete opposite of what Jesus says. You affirm yourself. But Jesus says you deny yourself. Just because you feel that way or because you have that desire, deny yourself and follow God. Well, how can we defeat the enemy? How can, how can we defeat the enemy? Let me do this for the last few minutes that we have. Let me just share with you some things. Uh, some of these I shared with the young people yesterday, and I want you to know these as well so that you can talk about these uh, with your young people. Uh, first of all, we need to stay alert. We need to stay alert. This is what Peter says, to be watchful in verse 8. To be watchful. And this is difficult. I mentioned this. How do you fight an enemy that you can't see with the physical eye? Well, Peter is saying you've got to stay alert. You have to stay awake. I don't know if anybody here has been in the military. I've not. But just imagine um, if you're serving a post in war and it's your job to keep watch at night over the camp. And your post is from midnight to 6 a.m. in the morning. And you start that shift and you're, you're wide awake and you're ready to go. You've had your coffee, but about 3 o'clock, it's quiet. Bugs are making their music. And then you start to doze off a little bit. And all the while, your enemy has just been lurking around the camp, waiting for an opportunity to come in. And as soon as you doze off and as soon as you fall asleep... Your enemy comes in and destroys the camp because you weren't paying attention. And it's the very same thing that can happen to us as Christians when we fall asleep spiritually. In a world that is full of darkness, it can be easy for us to lose our attention to what really matters and fall asleep. We can become complacent. We can allow priorities and and, and our focus to come off of Jesus And we compromise ourselves in various areas of our lives. You might know what I'm talking about. Every every time you you choose to listen or or watch something that's vulgar, that that is evil, that is wicked. Or every time you conform to this world, make poor, ungodly decisions, you're falling asleep spiritually. You're falling asleep. You're not paying attention. Peter says, we must be alert. We must pay attention to the enemy that is lurking. So let's wake up. Let's be alert. Second of all, stay consistent. Stay consistent. One of the things that Peter has to say in this this first letter that he writes is that we fight our enemy, that we are not to fight people. 
Remember, Peter says, you be good to the people who are bad to you. That's what God calls us to do. And we can look at other passages, Romans chapter 12. We don't overcome evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good. And remember, we are not fighting against other people. Peter would say, if you got a bad boss, don't fight against them. You got a bad spouse or you live under a bad government, you don't fight Satan by being ugly to people. You don't fight Satan by fighting with other people. You fight Satan by being this constant example of purity. This constant example in words and in deed of what it looks like to become a Christian. And I'm going to stop there because I'm going to talk a lot about that uh, here in just a little bit. But stay consistent. Wherever we find ourselves, we live as Christians. We conduct ourselves as Christians, regardless of where we are, where we find ourselves. Next, stay constant in word and in prayer. For soldiers of God, this book is our supply. And if Satan can cut us off from our supply line, we're going to be an easy lunch for him. Peter would say in 1 Peter 1 at verse 25 that the word of God endures forever. He would say in, in chapter 2 at verse 2 to crave the, the pure milk of the word of God. And you think about it. What does the word do? Well, the word keeps you vigilant. The, the, the word helps you see things that you wouldn't see otherwise. You know, Satan does whatever he can do to keep you away from the Bible, right? He'll do whatever he can do to keep you away from this assembly. He'll do whatever he can do to keep you away from feasting on the Word of God every day. He'll see to it something comes up. He'll try any way to distract us from being in this book. And another thing that he'll do, I say stay constant in word and in prayer, he'll keep you out of your prayer closet as well. Because Satan knows that if we are communicating with our commanding officer, he's in trouble. Peter knows that prayer is spiritual warfare. And so have a consistent, constant prayer life. Have the lines of communication constantly open between you and God. And you're going to be much better equipped to fight your enemy. For the next, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged. You know, when you face evil in suffering in this world, you can be convinced that you're the only one that experiencing what it is that you're going through. You might be convinced that you're the only one who has this struggle and that you're some sort of special experiment. And, and then Satan comes along and he wants us to think, why is God putting you through this? What's he have against you? You know, that's one of the lies he, he tells. But Peter says this at the end of his letter. He says in verse 9, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter says, listen, your brothers, your spiritual family, they are experiencing the same kinds of suffering. It doesn't say same suffering, it says same kinds of suffering. It may be that I'm not going through what you're going through, or you're not going through what your, your sister over here is going through. But as Christians, we experience different kinds of suffering. There is not a Christian in this world that Satan has left alone. Don't think you're exempt from the war just because you're choosing not to suit up. Don't think that you're exempt. You're in the war, you're just losing. 
Satan doesn't leave any Christian alone. And that's why we need to stand together. That's why we need to stand together. That's why I think we need to encourage the things that, that, that this church did yesterday for young people to come together and to stand together and to look and, and, and to see that I'm not the only one trying to do what's right. That there are other people in this battle with me and they can be there with me to hold my hands up. What a, what a blessing. What a blessing. I wonder if some of you, I, I shared this with the young people yesterday, I wonder how many of you had the experience that I had when I was growing up uh, I was the only one in Bible class. I, did, I didn't have a, a class full of, uh, of, of peers in my Bible class. It was just me. And, and when, I see, when I see the kids here in this area have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be together and to encourage one another, I want them to see so badly how blessed they are. What an incredible advantage that they have to have one another, to be there and to encourage one one another. And so if you know a brother or sister in Christ that is suffering, they're going through something, you be there with them to walk beside them. You be there for them to lift them up, lift them up in prayer. Have a prayer with them. Talk to God for them. Stay encouraged. Uh, And then finally, stay confident. Stay confident. Listen, there is not, there's not going to be a ceasefire deal between God and Satan. They're not going to come to a, to a truce here, okay? Satan is defeated. Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. He destroyed the works of the devil. But he's not a neutralized foe. You see, the battle is still being waged. It's almost like a, a criminal or a sniper or someone who, who knows that their time is coming to end. They're going to try to create as much havoc and chaos as they can. And that's, that's much like Satan. That's much like Satan. He wants to take as many people down with him as he can. And we can flee from the devil, but he will not stay away. He is determined to get us to give up on our pilgrimage. And I think the most important truth that we need to understand is that we can win the victory. We can defeat the devil. I mean, Peter simply says, this is a simple command in verse, well, it's stated simply. Verse 9, resist him. God says we can do this. We can resist Him. It's simple, but it's an important, powerful point. Let's not over-exaggerate the devil. I mean, the devil is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. He doesn't know everything. He can't do everything. He is defeated. Greater is He that is in you than he who is in the world. In 1 John chapter 4, at verse 4. We can defeat the devil. We can resist Him. Then let me read to you verse 10 and I'll wrap up. He says in verse 10, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That that word restore that's there in verse 10 is interesting. It's a word that can mean uh, the idea of mending your nets. Much like the fishermen. Uh, that follow Jesus, they would know what it would mean to, to mend your nets. Peter would know what this would mean, that your net's got some holes in it, and, and you need to mend that net. You need to put that net back together. You need to shore up those weak places. And really what, what Peter is saying is you need to look to your life. You need to look at your net and see if you've got any holes in it. You need to look at your net and see if there's any places that needs to be strengthened up and made well and made whole again. 
So do some self-examination of how you're fighting this battle. But keep your eye on the goal. Keep your eye on the goal because Peter says he has called you to his eternal glory. That's ultimately how we can resist the devil if we'll just keep focused on what's important. If we'll keep focused on our goal, we can know that we're on the right side. We can know that we're going to win. You ever watch a, a game, your favorite team, and, and you record it and you know the outcome. Your buddy ruins it for you and tells you what happened. That your team won, but you still go back and you watch the game. I know you football fans here in Alabama do that. You, you guys will go back and you'll watch those games. I have they watch them over and over and over again. But you know what happens, right? But there's something there's something encouraging about that, knowing that your team is going to win, regardless if if the running back fumbles the ball on the two yard line of the uh, in, right next to the opponent's goal. You don't get all worked up about that, right? Because you know in the end. That your team wins. And that's the confidence that we can have with God. That in the end, there might be some times where I fumble the ball. There might be some times when I slip and I fall. But if I get back up, if I keep pursuing Jesus, I can know that in the end, I am on the winning team because I'm with God. Let's fight the good fight. Thank you for your attention this morning.